spiritual ear will hear it more audibly than if you had headphones on. That God the Holy Spirit was just writing it and revealing it and teaching it to you. But we're going to put it in its proper context by looking at a New Testament exhortation to the church. That's us. The ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly, the sanctified body of Christ. Here in the 17th verse, it's very familiar to many of you because we have read from it many times. It's 16 verses. We're going to read them very quickly, but I just love them. I like to read them over and over again. It says, This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Man, you can't live like you used to live. When you got to walk and act and think and talk differently. You have to be purposeful and intentional about it, right? The Spirit of God on the inside of you is prompting you to change. There is a need in the body of Christ for men and women to recognize that, yes, you come to God as you are, but you don't stay as you are. That if you come to Him, He's going to change you from the inside out. And people, there's going to, I believe you can arrive at a place where you're not, you're, you're, it's even difficult to recognize you any longer because the old man is dead and the new man has emerged. Here he continues. He said, in those Gentiles, he said, their understanding is darkened. It's alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, they have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness, uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Think for a moment of time. Paul's writing to the people of his generation, the people of Ephesus. He's saying, look around you. He's not asking them to be judgmental, but he's reminding them of the distinction between those that are born again and those that don't know Christ. And he's saying, notice the lewdness. Notice the uncleanness. Notice, uh, you know, the, the, the carnal, sensual behavior. The way that they act. He said, but you have not learned that in Christ. Are you hearing me today? There's a need for us to learn about Jesus. There's a need for us to emulate his life. We are Christians. Come on, somebody. We're followers of Christ. He said, so you have not learned Christ in this context. If indeed you have heard him and you have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. Come on. He said, now here, you are to put off your former conduct. This is an intentional decision to walk and talk and act differently. Right, that you're going to put off. Just like when you get home, if you wore a coat to church today, when you get home and you go into your living room, you're going to take off that garment. Right? You're going to intentionally take, well, some of you are going, Pastor, it might be cold in my house too. Listen, but most of you will intentionally remove that garment. Paul uses that as an analogy between the old you and the new you. You put off the old man. You put off his, look at this, his conduct. Look at the 22nd verse. He said, it was corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust. And it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You have to be renewed. That's part of why you're here today. Amen. And that you put on. So you don't just take off something. God doesn't just strip you to blandness. He takes you and he empowers you to take off that old deceitful nature that is unclean and that's greedy and that's lewd and that's unholy and you take it off and you put on this new man that's created in righteousness and holiness. You live, you talk, you act, you think different. Here's some of the fruit of it. This is not a complete list. It's just a partial list. It's a stimulus. You speak the truth. 
You don't lie. You put away lying. You speak kindness to each other. You're angry, but you don't sin. It's not sinful to be angry. It can become sinful, right? But there are times when you're angry, but you don't have to sin. You can control the emotion of anger. Well, I'm going to just keep preaching. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So, so, so don't take this. He said it's a, it's a proverb here. Don't let the sun go down. Don't go to bed at night angry. Because if you go to bed angry, you're going to get up angry. You do that over and over again, you're going to live to be an old angry person that nobody wants to be around. Right? That when your funeral comes, there's seven people that's at your funeral because you're an old angry person. Right? Don't live life like that way. We've got the joy of the Lord. Come on. And he said here, he said, so if you used to stole, then steal no longer. How simple is that? If you used to steal, uh, uh, he said, then now get a job. Listen, you don't need Trump to get a job and do the right thing. Come on, that principle's been in the scriptures from the beginning. Right? Work hard, labor, work with your hands, do that which is good so that you can give to something who has need. Don't always be the person in need. Right? And I'm not saying that there's something wrong with being in need. All of us have times in our lives when we are in need. But you can't live in need all your life. God can take you out of living in need, transform you till you have an initiative to work. Work is not just manual labor, but it's trusting and, and, and resources and using your tools, the things that are equipped to you to produce income. From that income, then you become a giver. All right, let's keep on going. That's not Republican or Democratic. Right? That's biblical. Let's go on down. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. You've got to get a hold of your tongue. About six of you are wanting to do that. But that which is good, he said, look, for what purpose? He said, so that, he said, but this is what you need to speak. Speak something good. Talk about good things. Edify the people that are around you. Quit tearing people down all the time. Don't talk about uh, all the people that you work with. Definitely don't talk about your church family. And God forbid that you talk about your preacher. Lord, you watch them. That it may, he said, here's what your motive should be, that you should impart grace to the hearers. That you want to say something that can build up, not tear down. Isn't it? So Paul's just giving, these are just practical things. He doesn't end it here. He continues it into the fifth chapter and even into the early part of the sixth chapter. But it's, and there's no end to the list. It's about a transformed life, right? Walking in the spirit, changing our attitude, becoming the person God's called us to be. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. See, when you live like the Gentiles, you're grieving the spirit of God who's on the inside of you. When you're patterning the world, I believe the Spirit of God is greed because many in our generation, we're not coming out from among them like we once used to in the church. We're not living separate like we once used to. We're just coming into church and we are bringing all of our junk with us, not to get rid of it, but to just learn to balance it a little bit better. Listen, God wants you to get rid of that junk. And that junk is sometimes addictions, yes. But sometimes it's habits, yes. Sometimes it's lifestyle choices, yes. Sometimes it's your attitude. Sometimes it's just the way you speak. Sometimes it's whether you went to bed angry at night. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So look at this. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be what? 
Be put away from you even with all malice or with hatred. Put away hatred. And here's what God says. So be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Isn't that exciting? I could go home right now and say, I've been in church. Because that script, that passage is so, it's so living and it's so necessary in our generation. But let's go and let's read a familiar passage, 15 verses, from the book of Genesis today, from a biblical character that I would attempt to put a narrative together that would weave what has happened in his life, which, that, which is what Paul exhorts here in Ephesians today. And I don't know the time. Guess what? I'm going to tuck my phone away here so I won't have time staring at me. I want y'all's liberty today. I just want to share this word. It's in my heart. I want to just share it with you. Would y'all stand in the honor of the reading of the rest of the passages of Scripture here? This is the familiar story of Jacob which I'll elaborate. If you say, Pastor, it's familiar to those that were in Sunday school, but it's not familiar to me, I'll do my very best to elaborate here in a few moments. First verse, 35th chapter says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of your brother Esau, or from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household, and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has gone and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem, which I believe that's an oak tree. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel. That was the previous name of this particular site. Uh, it's not necessarily a city as of yet, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, which there were many people with him, his sons and daughters, his wives, his men servants, his maidservants, all of his cattle and his sheep and his resources. And it says, and he built an altar there and he called the place El Bethel, which is distinguished some from Bethel. El in Hebrew is God. And so originally he had called it Bethel. We'll talk about it in a moment. Now he calls it El Bethel because there a God, their God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now while there in route, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died. She was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. The name of that was called Alan Bakuth. And when God appeared to Jacob again, then God appeared while there at Bethel after the erection of the altar there, it says that God appeared to him and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a kingdom of nations shall proceed from you. Now, oddly enough, Jacob has already had his children at this particular time. His wives have delivered him many men, uh, uh, boys and girls. But I'm telling you, the children hadn't yet become who God called them to be. 
Uh, and right, but God is still calling them to become who he's called them to be. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, now look at this, I give to you and to your descendants after you, I give this land. And then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. And so today, I'm going to talk to you. I've reached into my sermon file. It's what I call the vault, and I pulled forth a message that was preached here at this church several years ago called Take Your Family Back to Bethel. It's a stirring word in my heart. I get moved every time I read it when I contemplate upon the truth, especially with the connection that's made from Genesis 35 to Ephesians chapter number 4. Must pray that God, through the foolishness of preaching, can awaken us to make sure that we're bringing our families back to Bethel. Come on, somebody. Amen. Lord, we love you today, and we're grateful having the privileged opportunity of read the Word of God in this house. And I was not lying, uh, Father, and, and I was not uh, exaggerating when I said I could have gone home right now and felt like I'd been in church because of reading Ephesians 4. But Father, how Ephesians 4, God brings to light the story of Genesis chapter number 35, how these two passages correspond and correlate one with the other. And at the time, at the end of this message, may it be a, a revelation in the heart of every individual. May there be a stirring response in our hearts that's not necessarily measured out today, but God, in the weeks and the months and even the years ahead, may we become, Father, a family that's willing to not just go to Bethel, but to dwell there. Come on, somebody, to dwell there in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. You can be seated today. If I can take you for a few moments into the story of Jacob for just a moment, for those of you that might not be as familiar as others to us, Jacob is born to Isaac, who is the son of promise. Isaac is the son of promise to Abraham and Sarah, the son of his old age, the son of promise. And he's the third generation in the patriarchal family. And he's been born into a godly family. But let me say this today. as Godly families can have struggles just like everybody else. Right? And sometimes contention can be just as real in the home of a godly family as a family that's not necessarily in the faith. And so within the womb, if you take the time to read in the earlier chapters in the book of Genesis, even in the womb, uh, in Rachel's womb, her two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau, wrestle within themselves. Did you know that wrestling continues to this very day? That wrestling is uh, Esau became the father of the Edomites, which became... Uh, uh, the many of the Arabians that are in that country today, the, that region today, versus Jacob and the descendants of Israel, that contention is still there today. And it's a famous passage in Scripture because upon birth, Esau's the firstborn. The Bible says he comes out, he's reddish all over. But when he comes out, Jacob's little hand reaches out of the womb, literally, and takes a hold of Esau's heel. And he's named Jacob supply. Planter. He's taken him by the heel. And so as these boys grew, their distinctions and their personalities become more evident. And in their distinctions and their personalities, often it creates contentions and at times even favoritism. You have to be very careful, moms and dads, to guard yourself of favoritism if you have multiple children. You cannot just connect to the child that shares your likes and dislikes. 
Well, I'm just going to preach on anyhow from a father of, as a father of six children. You've got to make sure that you're showing the same love and affection to all your children. Come on. The scripture says, unfortunately, that Isaac loved Esau, but the mother, Rachel, she loved Jacob. The Bible shares about the distinction in their personalities, that Esau was a man of the field. He was a hunter. The Bible plainly calls him a hunter. If I can put this in modern terms to you today, his favorite show would be the sportsman channel or the sport his favorite channel would be the sportsman channel his favorite show would be meat eater he would drive a four-wheel drive pickup truck he would be a member of the nra he might hunt in season and out of season like folks from shirley he would have a piece of his garment clothed in camouflage at all times he could skin a buck. He could run a trot line because he would be a country boy that could survive. Come on, somebody. But Jacob, on the other hand, was akin to, he loved his mama. So he would be a mama's boy. Doesn't mean he was feminine. He got married to two women, so we won't call him feminine. But on the other hand, he, did, he didn't like to do all those things out in the field. And so if we put it in modern terms today, he would watch the chew from about 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. in the morning so he could learn the newest recipes. And then later in the afternoon, he would turn the channel to HGTV where he would then watch uh, Flip or Flop or... Uh Come on, somebody. Amen. And so he would be concerned about the decor in his tent. He didn't want any piece of his clothing or his fabric camouflaged at any time. He had a close affection to his mother. He would be a mama's boy. And so that contention eventually put some, uh, or that distinction in their two characters put some pressure upon their relationship because Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Twice, for a lack of time, though, twice Jacob succeeded in fulfilling the mandate of his name. He's called supplanter. When he uh, took, he didn't take, but he, he enticed uh, Esau to give him the right of firstborn. The first time you may remember, Esau's come from the field. He hasn't taken game. He's famished. He's been out on a hunting expedition for multiple days, and he's not taking any game. He comes in, and he's tired, and he's hungry, and Jacob's over there stirring a fresh of lentil soup flavored just right he got the recipe right there off of the chew he's watching it as they come in as Esau comes in and Esau is famished he wants just a bowl of soup but Jacob said I'll give you a bowl of soup if you give me your birthright and so uh, 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 an exchange and an exchange takes place that unfortunately he sells his birthright becomes a curse to Esau. He sells his birthright for one bowl of lentil soup. And then later, he actually stole the blessing. I can't go into all of that, but how that he went into his father Isaac dressed like Esau, and Isaac, in the blindness of his eyes, spoke blessing over Jacob like he was Esau, and the blessing of the firstborn. Not only did he get the, the right of the firstborn, according to their culture, but he gained the blessing of the firstborn. And that, that, that last supplanting, that was so angered Esau when he discovered that his father spoke the blessing that belonged to him to Esau over Jacob that he hated he hated Jacob in his heart and he waited for the day for his father to die so that he could kill him and when Rebecca heard about it she said you know what we can't let this I can't let this happen and so she talked to Isaac and she said you know Esau's taken wives he's he dated girls of the world he dated Canaanite women and now he's 
married to a Canaanite. Remember what it said in Ephesians 4? You got to live differently than the Canaanites or the Gentiles. And so Esau's acting like the world, talking like the world, hanging out with the world. He's dancing with the world, and finally he marries the world. And, and so that grieves Isaac and Rebecca, and Rebecca said, I can't let I can't, I've, I've already lost on a journey with nothing but a staff in his hand, nothing but a little pouch on his side, just a little knapsack and just a little cloak to keep him warm at night to go back to the land of his father and mother's nativity where he would then take a spouse. And the Bible tells us that along the journey, I believe it's on the very first day, Maybe the second day, somewhere along the journey, the Bible says that he stopped at a certain place. Did you know that people come to a certain place all the time and they fail to recognize it? They don't know they've been set up by God. I'm telling you, God orders your steps. God directs your steps. Every man, woman, boy, and girl here today, you got up because God compelled you to get up. God ordered your steps to this house because I'd have this word for you today because you needed to hear this word. You needed to be reminded. And so Jacob goes to this place. He thinks it's a casual stopping place. He eats his supper. He pillows his head on a stone. He puts his cloak over him, and he drifts into a deep sleep. But while there, the God of his father, Abraham, the God of his father, Isaac, visits him and visits his dream. And in his dream, he sees a ladder that stands from the earth to the heavens and he sees the angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder I remember Dean Caldwell preached that message he said that was the day shift and the night shift going up and down that ladder and that was God's angels watching over his people and God stood over that ladder and God spoke to Jacob and he said Jacob I'm the God of Abraham and I'm the God of Isaac and if you'll surrender your life to me if you'll become who I, I'm paraphrasing if you'll become who I called you to be and do what I've called you to do I'll bring you back to this place and I'll bless you and I'll give you the land that God's promised that I promised your father Isaac and your grandfather Abraham and when Jacob wakes up in the morning when the rooster crows and, and the sun appears in the eastern sky and he begins to wipe the sand out of his eyes he realizes that he's had an encounter with God the Bible says in that passage that Jacob said surely the presence of God was in this place and I didn't even know it I'm afraid that's how we come to church many times I'm afraid we're so casual in church today that his presence is here and we can't even recognize it and finally Jacob out of it we need to wake up in the church church family we need to wake up and realize this is a special place it's a special moment Jacob realizes that God has set him up God's brought him to a place he said this is no longer Luz the name of the city or the place or the location previously he said but I'm going to call this Bethel I'm going to call this the house of God and he takes the very stone that he pillowed his head on and he erects it. He raises it up. He takes oil out of his bag, pours oil on it, and he dedicates himself to God. And he says, God, if you'll bring me back to my father's house safely, then you'll be my God. It won't just be the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, but it'll be the God of Jacob as well. I'm telling you, church family, we need to be aware of the presence of God. Every time we come together, it's a special moment. It's a special place. It's a special opportunity. I prayed today. And I said, God, let every person that comes under this, under this roof today in this house experience the presence of God. How we need the presence of God in the house of God. And so Jacob then begins a journey of life. And the scripture then, for the lack of time and the sake of time, he does arrive in Haran. And while in Haran, he falls in love with Rachel, the youngest daughter of Laban. You'll have to read this and fill in the gap. Time does not afford me to go into depth. Over the next 14 years, 
Jacob serves Laban as chief shepherd and marries both Rachel and Leah. I can see with me having passed the hand of two daughters into a husband's hand that I was not following the scripture because I sure didn't get 14 years of work out of those two boys. But let's go a little bit farther. And while there, he fathers children, sons and daughters. While there, God begins to fulfill the promise that he made to Jacob and begins to bless him. I'm telling you, when God gets ready to bless you, he will bless you in so many different ways. God's blessing is often a transfer of small blessings. Often it's not one big blessing. Often it's not, you know, Ed McMahon knocking on your door saying you've won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. No, it's little blessings here and little blessings there and little blessings till you know that God's always watching over you. God's always favoring your life and he's fulfilling the promise that he makes. Yet family life is never quite easy, especially blending a large family like Jacob is, finding cohesiveness and agreement uh, between Rachel and Leah, between their children and the children of the maidservants proves to be very, very difficult and complex. It seems that there's always some strife or striving for attention, one wanting to succeed the other. And unfortunately, during this time, we find no record of Jacob's devotion to God. We find Jacob's awareness of God. We find God being who God is, true to his word, blessing Jacob. But we don't see a vibrant devotion in the life of Jacob. He's aware. He's acutely aware of God's blessing. But if you'll notice the scripture during that passage is there, those passages, he still refers to God as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and not necessarily his God. His faith is still being developed within his own heart. In his mind, he faintly remembers the devotion at Bethel, the presence of God, the promises of God. There could be some under the sound of my voice today that you used to be active in church. You used to be there every time the doors were open and then you grew distant and you grew uh, apart from the fellowship of the communion of the house of God. Well, I'm telling you, God set you up today. God brought you here on a snowy day because I had a word for you. You need to go back to Bethel. Come on, somebody. You need to go back and be reminded of the presence of God. In his mind, he knows he cannot deny the blessings of God, yet his commitment to follow God is still immature, lacking complete devotion. And in an emotional farewell, after many years, 20 years of service, Jacob says goodbye to Laban, and he begins the long journey back to the land of Canaan. And along that journey, on the return journey, Jacob is with great fear and hesitation because he's afraid to face Esau. For the last time he saw Esau, Esau was waiting for the death of his father so that he could kill Jacob. And he knows he's going to have to confront Jacob or Esau, and he is afraid to do so. And a famous uh, incident occurs on a particular night. Once again, Jacob finds himself at a, a, a solitary place. His family's with him. They've crossed the Jabbok River for whatever reason. Jacob has chosen to remain back and spend the night by himself. Maybe he's praying and meditating. And, and yet as he does so, the Bible says a man suddenly appears. But this is no regular man. This is no earthly man, but it's a heavenly encounter. It's an angel of God. And Jacob then begins to wrestle with him. The man lays hold on him. Jacob lays hold on the angel. And they wrestle through the night. And something begins to shift in the heart of Jacob. Something begins to shift in his heart and his mind. A discernment of the presence of God 
begins to be created. And he says to the angel, he said, angel, I'll not let you go until you bless me. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, why are you hanging on to me? He said, I've got to have. He knew that he was going to have such a confrontation with Esau that he couldn't do it in his own flesh. He had to have the blessing of God. He said, I've got to have the blessing of God. And so the angel blessed him that night and touched him in the hollow of his thigh. And the Bible says, from that day forward, Jacob began to walk differently. He began to walk with a limp. You remember when I took you to Ephesians chapter 4, I took you there. It's because when you've had an encounter with God and your life has begun to be conformed to the image of God, it's going to be affected in the way that you live. People are going to notice that you're walking differently, you're talking differently, you're acting differently, you're not the same old arrogant, deceitful person, but that God is changing and shifting. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Your life is being reflected of the encounter that you're having with God. And so Jacob then moves, I wrote it this way several years ago, every man, every woman needs a broken encounter with God. We need to walk differently after the presence of God comes into our life. So Jacob moves on to face his brother Esau, only to discover that Esau's anger has subsided. Sometimes God will go in front of you. Sometimes God will take away your greatest fears. Right, If you'll just hunger and, and hold on and trust in him and the thing you're anxious about, the thing you're worried about, uh, sometimes God can go in front of you and soften the heart of the person that you know you're going to have contention with. And so the scripture says in a moment of immaturity, Jacob returns to deception and he promises to move along behind Esau and travel to Mount Seir. Yet as his brother moves on ahead, Jacob alters his travel plan and he moves to Shalem. It's a city of Shechem. It's a Canaanite city. And there he buys land and he spreads his tent towards the city. Now while there on the edge of the Canaanite city, you know what he did? He erected an altar and he worshiped. God and when I read that I see that as those that make up their mind that they're going to follow God but they're just going to worship God at home they're just going to do God their way they're going to conform God to their world but let me come along today to tell you you can't conform God to your world God is not a God that can be molded and shaped into your likeness, into your image, and the thing that you desire. Rather, God is shaping you into He who or to be who He who, or for you to be who He desires you to be. That's what God's doing. He's molding and shaping you. You can't mold and shape God. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. We are the culture where everybody just wants God to be what they want Him to be. Right? And I'm telling you, that's not God. Right? You are the clay. He is the potter. We say to him, mold me and make me and have thine own way. The scripture then goes a little bit farther. And while at Shechem, while there, contention, the, the, the apex of contention in his household is created. Jacob's daughters are now teenagers. His sons are nearing adulthood. The prince of the city either rapes or has consensual sex with one of Jacob's daughters. The king of Shechem desires intermarriages. I wrote this years ago. I say it again today. The world wants your children. 
and the world's going to gain access to them as long as you're camped along their edge, as long as you're living with one foot in the world and trying to put the other foot in the kingdom of God. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to serve God. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to live for God. You've got to make up your mind. You're going to walk differently. You're going to be different. You're going to talk different. Come on, somebody, because you've got to recognize the, the world, the flesh, and the devil is targeting your children and your children's children. And the closer you keep them to the world, the more difficult it's going to be to pull them out. Come on, are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? And so it creates a difficulty in raising the family, contentions. Listen, in this way, it's difficult because as Jacob is aging, his heart is softening. Everybody my age and older should be able to raise their hand up. Right? But the children, though, listen, Jacob's limp has taught him dependency on God. His children are learning independency, and it creates contention. They want to make decisions for themselves. They're more easily influenced by the culture. They don't understand their father, and their father doesn't understand them. If you were to take the time to really look at the passage of Scripture, and I won't preach much longer now, but let me finish today, and I want to finish strong. Their family lineage is at risk. Their family heritage is at risk. Their family uh, uh, posterity could be broken up. God's design is for their family to become a nation. God wants to take them from just being a family that's sojourning around the Middle East to becoming a nation to which he would send forth the Redeemer of Israel through. And so they've got an eternal destiny and it's hanging in the balance in their contention and in their division and while they're, while they're living on the edge of Canaan. And so in the midst of great family conflict... In the midst of crisis, in the midst of the brothers arguing with the dad, and in the midst of children being uh, uh, raped by the world, it was at that moment that the God of all glory stepped right back down in the middle of Jacob's life and said, Jacob, I want you to get up. Get up from where you're at. Don't live on the edge of the Canaanites any longer. I told you to go home, but I didn't tell you to go to Shechem. I said, go back to Bethel. Go back to the place of new beginnings. Go back to the place where my presence first met you. Go back to the house of God don't we need that in the church one more time men and women called out sanctified and being the people God's called us to be I pray oh God why do we have empty seats in first assembly when hundreds of people have come through the doors of this assembly over the last 15 years it's because they're camped on the edge of the Canaanite cities wanting to erect their own altar and worship God at home but I've got a voice for you today God doesn't want you living there God said I want you to go back to the house of God and I want you to dwell right there. I want you to put your living room furniture in the house of God. I want you to be a part of all that I'm doing in the earth. Glory to God. Go back to Bethel. I love those words. They echo in my spirit every time I read them. Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Dwell there, Jacob. Make that your house. Man, I'll tell you what we need in the church today. We need more than just casual worshipers. Come on, we need pillars in the house of God. We need men and women to recognize that you are called out and you are distinct and you're separate and you're holy and you've got a divine perspective and it's not to sit in front of all the filth of the world. It's not for your face to be buried in Facebook. It's not so you can bring all those evil movies into your family and your children's lives. It's not to be listened to all that junk on the radio. It's to be holy, set apart, have a purpose in life, called out to be who God's called you to be. Glory to God. I love this. He said, go up to Bethel. In the natural, Shechem was 1,000 feet below the elevation of Bethel. 
I believe many are living below the place that God has for them. Many are living below the place. They're living in a lower standard of spiritual conditions and spiritual living. But God today is calling them upward. And so Jacob, I love this. Listen to this. Jacob, the man of the plain. Jacob, often fearful of conflict and contention, suddenly gets a holy boldness. You know when revival is going to take place? When people in strategic positions within the family begin to exert their holy boldness and authority. Jacob begins not in arrogance, not in boastful pride, but Jacob calls his family together. Have you ever had a family meeting? Have you ever had to call your children in? Have you ever had to call your wife or your husband in? Have you ever had to call the in-laws in and say, you know, what we used to do life this way but from this day forward we're going to do life this way we used to do this but now we're going to do that come on somebody we used to go there we're not going there any longer but we're going to go right here every now and then faith has to be forceful every now and then faith has to stand up and say I'm not taking no for an answer I'm not asking you to go I'm not asking Sam we're going to go if we're a family and I'm the head we're going to go Jacob didn't say well if you want to come with me I'm thinking about selling the and moving to no Jacob said I want everybody to, to lift up the stake out of their tent I want you to pack your bags we're going back to Bethel we're going back to the house of God we're going back to the place where God first visited me and promised to bless me and we're going to be the people God's called us to be I tell you we need a revival in the church Listen, here's what's happened in our generation our casual response to church is robbing the church of conviction it was our desire to not make church so formal years ago and not make it elitist. I understand. But in doing so, we have made it casual and complacent. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting on this Sunday morning, but I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm calling people out. I'm going to be your Jacob today. I'm calling you out. Some of you are still living like you're in the world. God spoke to Jacob to his children. Look what he said. Now let's reach back as I'm getting ready to wrap things up. But I want you to reach back in your mind to Ephesians chapter number 4. And let's see what Jacob said. Jacob said, I need everybody to put away the strange gods. I need everybody to go in the house. And I need you to open your little box up. And I need you to reach in there and pull your little idol out. Gold, it don't matter. Silver, it doesn't matter. I need you to give it to me. And Jacob went out and he took them from all of his children. Took the earrings out of their ear. And he buried them under the you know what that means he buried him under the cross of Calvary he buried him under the blood covenant and he said God that's who we used to be we used to do all those things but we're not going to do them anymore my God we need that in the church again today he said put away four times in the book of Ephesians the fourth chapter Paul said put away or he said put off there's a need in the church for people to put off come on there's a need for us to put on we need to put off some things and we need to put on some things. We need to put off the old man and we need to put on the new man. He said, be clean. I love this. Be clean. Well, it's time for us to live clean lives in the church again. It's time for us to be concerned about what we're doing with our bodies. Come on. It's time for us to get rid of our addictions. I'm not here trying to browbeat you. I'm here to tell you God wants you holy. God wants you sanctified, set apart, live in life for his glory. Those things will just tear you down. They won't build you up. He said, be clean. You got to be washed by the washing of water of the word of God. He said, then change your garments. Wait a minute, pastor. What do you say? Remember what Paul said? 
Paul said, you need to take off that old man with all your anger and your bitterness and your malice, and you need to put on the new man. We need a redemptive work in the church one more time. We need a fresh visitation of God that brings conviction to our houses because it's a shame when men and women can be involved in the church week after week while they're living together with somebody who's not their spouse. Now, I'm going to say it again today. I don't say it to hurt anybody. I'm not throwing stones in anybody. I'm telling you, it's a shame when week after week in the church, people have lifted, lived a casual, complacent Christian life without conviction. And it's happening over and over again in our generation. And I'm calling you out. Put away your strange gods. Change your lifestyle. If you're going to live for God, live for God. Listen, don't come in here and try to connect with people while you live for the world and live for the devil. Listen, don't put on this hypocrisy. Take it off. Be clean. Be whole. Be who God's called you to be. Until we need a revival in the church of changing our garments, changing our attitude, and changing our lifestyle. Changing our lifestyle. Jacob just simply said, let's go back to Bethel. He didn't say, I'm going to Bethel. You can follow me if you choose. Faith is often forceful. Faithful, faith is demanding and faith refuses to waver. You know what your family could be waiting on? They could be waiting on you to set the example. While you make church a casual place that you occasionally visit. And God's calling you back. And so they journeyed. Listen to this. And as they journeyed, I'm sure there was complaining. Hello, somebody. I'm sure there was fighting and contentions. I'm sure some said, I don't want to go. Why do we have to leave? But Jacob, limping as he went, said, we're going back to the house of God. We're going back to who God's called us to be. We're going to live our lives differently from the world. And in that moment of time when Jacob, the former supplanter, made his mind up to follow God, God came to him one more time. God came down. When he got back to the familiar place and God visited him there. You know what? I believe that can happen to people in this fellowship. People that are living on the edge of Canaan that once had a previous experience with God, some even in this facility, in this house, but if they'll come back, God will meet with them here. And he'll remind them of their destiny. God said, I've called you for more than what you've become. Come on, somebody. I've called you to become a nation, not just a broken family. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. Somebody needs to pray that over your children right now. God said, I called your children. Come on, somebody, to be a nation, to be a destined nation, not to just be a broken, fragmented family. You've got to believe it. You've got to stand fast on it and live life differently. And often it takes one patriarch to set the example. It takes one person rising up and saying, I'm going to live life differently for the glory of God. So, Daryl, as you join me on the platform today, I put together a context of comparison by looking into a familiar passage in the book of Ephesians where Paul says, don't live like the other Gentiles. To compare it to a familiar story by the man, by the life of the man named Jacob to show you how God called him back to the place of his presence where he would no longer just occasionally visit there, but that he would dwell there. And he would raise his family in the context that they're destined by God for great things. I'm telling you, we need to make church a place where conviction can be felt. Where the presence of God is real. Where people's lives begin to change. 
Listen, don't judge me today. I'm not judging you. I'm exposing you to a season in your life when God's going to come to you. I believe he'll come to you and he'll call you out to be who he wants you to be. Don't let church be so casual that you never respond to his conviction. I want the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want God to be able to get a hold of my heart so that if I have strayed any at all, I won't find myself camped on the edge of Shechem and the enemy coming in and ravaging my children while I let myself drift from his house. You know, I said this as we began, and I'm closing, as you know. Daryl's on the platform, I, and, I, and, I, and I put this sermon at risk. When the snowfall came and the time change, I knew. I knew that those were going to be factors against us. But, you know, all I can do is obey what I believe God's d- directed my steps. I didn't mean to preach this sermon. Let me tell you how it came about. I was simply purging a sermon file, going through, and, and, and just as I was doing... Just, just moving some stuff out of the way, I saw that go back to Bethel. And I said, oh, my God, I love that word right there. And I picked it up, and I began to read, read it. And in my private devotions, I began to weep. And when I read it over again on Friday, it, I began to weep. Because I, I know that God has so much more for people whose lives have never fully responded to the call for change oh they say they serve God they say they trust God but they're not living a life that produces the change Ephesians 4 said don't live like the Gentiles live I didn't make it up four times you go back and read it put off put away and ultimately put on God told Jacob tell your kids Give me those idols. Clean yourself up. Change your clothes. We're going to act different. We're going to talk different. We're going to be different. That's what faith is. It demands a change in our lives. You know, church doesn't have to be the place that you just visit. Church should be the place where you dwell. Come on. This is who I am. I'm going to tell you today, if all of you Make up your minds and say this right here. Pastor Brown, you know what? We're not going to follow God anymore. and We're definitely not coming back to First Assembly. And next Sunday morning, I show up and there's not anybody on the platform or in the parking lot. The door's not locked or not unlocked. Lights are not on. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk in here and put my key in. I'm going to unlock that door. I'm going to turn those lights on. I'm going to turn these lights on. I'm going to put some worship music on, and I'm going to stand right here, and I'm going to worship God. Because I didn't visit this house. I sold myself out a long time ago not to visit God. Come on, somebody. I came to dwell in the house of God. God's calling you to dwell. Won't you stand up with me today? God wants you out, holy, separate. Let that word be in your spirit today. Arise and go back to, to Bethel. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice as their heads bowed and their eyes closed? You can say, Pastor Brown, this message is for me. I've lived afar off. I've lived away. I've had a conviction. I, I knew God, but, I, but I've drifted. I've drifted. I've drifted from being the person that God's called me to be. I've drifted from the house of God. And today in this house, I just want to make a rededication to God. I just want to make a rededication to His presence.